Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. My name's Andrew Conrad. I'm the pastor here. Uh, thank you for choosing to worship with us today, whether you're here in person or on the live stream. Uh, we are glad to have you with us. We realize that is sometimes a difficult choice um, because you had to get out of bed or you had to fight the family getting ready on time or because you're just new to church and it's kind of a risky thing to walk into a place. So thank you for choosing to worship with us. We are glad that you are here today. In this series that we've begun in Acts called Sent, the Acts of Christians that Changed the World, we're seeing many different things. And one of the things I think that's pretty obvious around us is that we all want to be seen and noticed. And going to kind of the deeper issues that lie beneath that, what is it that people really want? They want people, others, to care about them, to, to love them, right? We all want to be cared about, to be loved. And so we're going to read this text from Acts chapter 3, and as we read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who wants to be noticed and cared for, and who cares? Acts chapter 3, the word of the Lord. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll bless the reading of your word Spirit, sink it into our hearts, that we may know it and live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
We hear them all the time. All the time. The calls for us to take action. Some, like the never-ending phone calls about the expiration of car warranties that are extremely annoying. All the time. But then other things that we hear about that are life-saving things like St. Jude's fight against childhood cancer. And there are many others. The call to be on the PTA, the call to stand up with a political action group. Of course, there's the incessant notifications on our social media devices and our phones reminding us that you too can speak up and act out and be heard even if it's in your own echo chamber. Right? We all want to be heard. We all want to be seen in some way, to be noticed. We need to care about something. We want to matter. It's human, right? Acting out, speaking up for things. Our culture does this pretty freely. But my question for you, and probably the question that I think this text brings out of us, is when was the last time you acted out on something as one of Jesus' commands, simply to do what Jesus asked us to do? When was the last time you spoke up about your faith in Jesus to somebody else? See, in, in a world of injustice and hurt, and people who have turned away from God, Jesus sends you out with a gospel-saturated, spirit-empowered faith to act out and to speak up. And I really only have two points today. And they are, Christian, you are sent to act out your faith. And secondly, Christian, you are sent to speak up about your faith. It's one of the things we see in Acts. It's what all the believers are doing. We saw that in chapter 2. We're going to see it again later as the story unfolds in Acts. But this is one of the things that we as Christians are to be about. So first... You are sent out to act out your faith. If you're going to act out your faith, one of the first things you have to do is notice something where you can act it out, right? And this is what they do. They, they act out their faith, seeing a need. They observe a need. They're going into the temple, and they see a, a lame man, a beggar there at the temple gate as they're entering in. He's, his needs are apparent. He cannot work, so he cannot provide for himself, so he is left there by his friends each day to beg for money. The Jewish custom would not allow him to actually go into the temple courts with others because he's unclean. And so he feels like he has no dignity and he must sit there and beg. And, it, and if you saw the language in verses 4 and 5, it was really intriguing because what we see is it says that Peter and John, they're going along and the man is hoping to get money and it says they look straight at him. And it says that they told him, look at us. Look at us. And that's intriguing for a few different reasons. But think with me just for a moment. Pretend you're in the crowd that's coming up for the hour of prayer into the temple and you're walking into the the city through the gate called Beautiful and there's this massive throng of people and you're going along and on the steps they're sitting somebody there who's a beggar. It's probably jingling his cup, right? Most people might, they might throw in some alms or some, some coins to give them along the way and they're keeping walking. And they probably don't make much eye contact and usually beggars aren't making much eye contact either. So if John and Peter look straight at him and tell him to look at them, are they continuing to walk? Probably not. We don't know for sure, but likely because of the interchange that's happening here is everybody's moving, they actually stop. 
and they're staring at this man. And they're asking him, look at us. And that means that everybody behind them has had to stop too. And now they're all focused on this man. And as they're there looking at him and saying, look at us, they've noticed his need. They see a clear need. Not just a man begging, but a human being in need. It's time for me to paint my house because the front of my house faces south and so it gets the sun all day long and the paint is peeling on it and lots of things that need to be done. Did I mention I have a wedding in two weeks? Um, so yeah, it's all good, don't, don't worry. Um, and so there was a piece of fascia board that I needed to repair. Just, you know, it's a pretty little white board that's maybe five feet long and it goes on the front of my porch and there was a little hole in it where it was rotted and it's like, so I'm going to have to replace that. So and figuring on out my list and things to do, I'm like, okay, that's probably going to take an hour. But knowing how I work, I'm like, that'll be an extra trip to Lowe's and probably two-hour project. Okay, good, done. I pull the piece of fascia board off. And what I thought was going to be two hours ended up being the next day off of work and 10 hours of repairs. Because those boards that I carried up here are two two-by-eights that were about five and a half feet long, sistered together, nailed together. And they were the structural support to hold my porch roof up, extending from my house to the column on the edge of my porch. And the fascia board came off, and those were a quarter to a third gone. I just cut a little section of them there. And I was like, oh, no. I have a much deeper problem. This is not a good thing. I have a wedding in two weeks. What am I going to do? So I take the day off work to fix it and repair it and punch a hole through the inside of my house when I'm trying to dig out that so I can actually get the support all the way into the stud wall, um, which is fine. That gets all patched and everything. So now it's all prettied up and there's a nice piece of white fascia and it looks good again. I noticed a need, but there was a much deeper need behind it. And if you're going to act out your faith, one of the things you're going to have to do is notice a need, but also be willing to see deeper needs that lie beneath, that are behind the surface. And Peter and John do that as well. They notice the things that are beneath, where the deeper hurt lies, where the weakness is, where decay might be, where brokenness from a sinful world affects people. And so they act out faith by meeting a deeper need. How do we know this? Because Peter takes it further than anybody else. He doesn't just give money, which is good. Would have been helpful. The deeper need is the man cannot walk, so he cannot work. And because he cannot walk and he's unclean, he cannot go in the temple courts and be participating in the spiritual life prayers and worship of Israel. And he feels like he has no dignity. And Peter, by the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus of Nazareth, in one moment brings healing to the man who can now walk so he can now work, can now enter the temple courts as he goes with them, entering in to praise God and everybody's astonished and has dignity restored. What Peter did, yes, it was a miracle and it's amazing. And I'm not saying you should walk around trying to be the next TV preacher who's going to heal people on the spot and all that stuff. But Peter heals this man um, so that he is restored to dignity and can enter the temple with him. What I am saying is when you see needs, look beneath the need. What's going on below? Because that's where the deeper human connection, it's where the deeper spiritual connection, body and soul, happens. Two of the 
organizations that we partner with, our church partners with in the city are um, STEP and Real Life Program. And both of those programs we partner with because of various reasons, but some of the reason is because of the two-by-eights. They see the deeper need. Like, that's not just, the problem isn't just this issue or that issue. It's complex, and it's more than that. And they're willing to dive in and address the deeper needs with basic life skills and restoring dignity, but also getting to spiritual matters of the heart. They're trying to address the whole person and the whole family. And that's a wonderful thing. You will hear us occasionally for you to ask to be involved and help out with them. And if you do, you will see a need that you never thought was there. And then you'll see deeper needs and like, wow, how these all connect. And it will be rewarding if you help out. And it's not just there. It's in other places, right? Even in ministries right here within the church, the same thing would be true. But if I can ask you a question. you're like me at all, and some of you are and some of you, thank goodness, are not. Because, like, right, then you have to deal with all the psychosis and everything. But if you're like me at all, like, and you're planning everything out, everything has to work in order and fit on timelines and everything like that, how do you view interruptions? Are interruptions annoyances to your perfectly planned routine and schedule? Or are they opportunities that God might be putting in front of you that's a deeper need coming to be realized? question I have to ask myself a lot, an opportunity to act out faith. Maybe you take someone a meal, which is fantastic. Do that and say hello to them. Even if it's on the front porch or at a distance, ask them how they're doing. Listen, offer to pray with them. What can I pray for you for? Maybe the deeper need comes out and you're able to help a person know that they are loved and that they are cared for and that they have dignity. And don't just, don't just pray. Help with, with things they need help with. It might be helping to, to connect to work options. It might be helping to connect to new friends or getting involved in the church. Right? We all want to belong and we all want to be loved. The deeper need then isn't only dignity or only friends, but it's to know the friend of sinners. Let me say that again. The deeper need isn't only social needs or psychological needs. It's not just for friends. It's to know the friend of sinners. And this leads to the second point that I want to talk to you about. And that is, Christian, that you are sent to speak up with faith. And about faith. The once lame man here in this passage is now hanging on to Peter and John. And they end up on the steps of Solomon's colonnade. Now, you cannot um, know this unless you've seen a diagram or if you've been to Israel. But the Temple Mount, the area there... Is quite large, um, where the Dome of the Rock now sits, which sits, which is a, was a is a Muslim holy place. But around it, the Temple Mount still sits there. And on one end of it, the southern end of it, is what was called Solomon's Porch or Colonnade. And it's steps that go up, um, and columns that line it the whole way. And it's the place in which people could hang out and overlook the Temple Courtyard area. And this this uh, this courtyard area is quite large. Um, uh, at least a couple of football fields wide and a couple of football fields long. It's big. It's a big area. And, um, and it's big enough that when Peter and this John and this man go up onto the steps here at Solomon's Colonnade, there's a crowd that gathers at least numbering 2,000 because we're told in chapter 4 that after Peter preaches, 2,000 more people were added to the number. It's a large crowd that gathers there every day that goes up into the temple to pray and to 
to even meet people and so forth. And what's interesting to me is that this man is hanging on to them. Why does Luke, the doctor, Luke's a physician who writes Acts, why does he tell us that he's hanging on to them? I don't know the answer. I mean, I can't be dogmatic about this. I don't know. There's two reasons that come to my mind. He's a little weak in his knees, not confident about walking on his newfound legs, and he's wobbly, though he's walking. But that seems to not quite fit with him walking and jumping and leaping and praising the Lord. It seems like he doesn't need any help to walk. Like, it seems like he's been fully restored and healed. So what other reason would there be? The man who was once looked down upon, scorned, seen as the lowly beggar, if you're in a massive crowd of people, who are you hanging out with? I'm not, I am not leaving your side. Boom. I am hanging out with you because you're the one that healed me. You're the one that cares about me. It may be as much a, a friendship, psychological, spiritual thing as it is a physical thing. And he's, in any case, he's holding on to them. And the crowd gathers, and they see the man, and they see Peter, and Peter says this is an opportunity to speak up about faith. And he starts to talk to them. He starts to preach to them and tell them about faith. And what does he talk about as he preaches? We didn't read it all, but I'll highlight some of it for you. What does he do? There's, there's at least three things he does that, that I want to give you today. And the first is this. He ties it to Scripture. He knows his audience. His audience is Jewish people going up to pray, right? They know their Scriptures, their Old Testament. Peter repeatedly uses the Old Testament throughout chapter 3 in this sermon and tells them, look, What I'm explaining to you about faith is what the prophets foretold about the Messiah who would come. Scripture shows it to be true. This is what it said. It's been fulfilled. In other words, what Peter is saying is, I'm giving you God's word because God keeps his word. He is trustworthy. He ties it to Scripture. It's always important if we're going to speak up with faith that that we can tie it to Scripture. It doesn't mean we have to go verse by verse and preach through it, but to tie it to Scripture, this is God's word and it's powerful. Tying it to Scripture is important. It's not just your words, then it's God's words. The second thing he does is he talks about sin. We see this in verses 13 to 15, where it becomes very clear. And let's put this slide on the screen, verses 13 to 15. Just notice how he talks about sin. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And he goes on and says, you disowned the Holy One, the Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You, 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 you. He is unafraid to speak about their sin, even if it's unpopular. There's thousands of people there. I mean, this could be a great risk. Who knows what's going to happen? Is the crowd going to turn on them like they did Jesus or respond in faith? Last time, the crowd responded in faith. Maybe they will again. But it's a risk. And he goes on in a part that we didn't read in verse 17. He talks and he said, look, you were ignorant about Jesus, about the Messiah. Probably meaning that they didn't fully understand Jesus' claims to be the Messiah, or at least certainly that they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so he says, you acted in ignorance. Sometimes you and I do the same thing. Sometimes we act in ignorance. Like, oh, I didn't know. What Peter is doing, 
when he says they acted in ignorance, is not to excuse wrongdoing. I mean, you know this to be true. It goes something like this. But officer, I didn't know the speed limit was 35. And the officer said, there's signs posted all along here that say 35. Yeah, maybe you didn't know, and in ignorance, you were going 45. But the signs are there, right? You can be ignorant about something and still do something that is wrong. It doesn't absolve all responsibility. And this is what Peter is saying is, yes, you acted in ignorance, and he's pleading with them saying, but look, now you know I'm telling you, here's the signs. This is who this Jesus is. And so he pleads with them in that way. Ignorance might mitigate punishment, but it doesn't fully absolve your responsibility. If you're thinking, I don't know, I've just never known really about this Jesus guy. Like, look, don't plead ignorance because you're still responsible and I'm telling you about him. He's here in scripture. You need to know him. You need to trust in him. You need to ask him to change your life. Because he does. And Peter goes on and pushes toward that in verse 19. Let's put verse 19 on the screen. He says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So he's saying, Look, turn away from the ignorance. Now you know, come to God. Your sins can be wiped out so that you are not guilty and you'll have joy and renewal because times of refreshing have come to you. And how do you get that? How do you get it? So Peter has tied things to Scripture. He has talked to them about sin. And the last thing he's going to do is take them to the Savior. He ties it to Scripture. He talks about sin unashamedly and takes them to the Savior. Peter could be tempted to not do that, by the way. Put yourself in his shoes. Or let me put myself in his shoes. Because preachers, you know, they like to be seen and heard too. All kinds of issues we have. Um, Right? walking around, healing people. He's got a crowd there, adoring fans. Yes, just please listen to every word I say, because if you do, I will continue to heal your people and lead you in the right direction. Um, But Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't make it about him. Notice verse 12. Let's put verse 12 on the screen. We read it earlier, but I'm going to put it up here again. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You see what Peter's saying? This isn't about us. It's not, we don't have this power. This power comes from God. And, and it's not because of our godliness. I mean, remember Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times? The one who took the sword to the high priest's ear? that Peter? Like, look, it's not because I'm better than you. And it's not because I've got power that you don't have. It's because God. It's because Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and Savior of sinners. It's all about the work of God. In fact, in verse 13, 16, 18, and 20, Peter explicitly uses the word Jesus or Messiah to speak about Jesus, saying, this is all about Jesus. He's saying, Jesus lived the morally perfect life that you and I could not live. He demonstrated true love for all. He died as the perfect sacrifice so that I can be accepted by God into 
the perfect paradise, which I otherwise could not be in as an imperfect person. And then Peter says later in verse 21 that God's Messiah, Jesus, will come again one day to restore everything. That is, bring paradise back. A life unaffected by sin, where people are made perfect. And how do you get there? Okay, great. How do I get there? Verse 16, he told us. It's where we ended our reading today. Let's put that back on the screen, verse 16. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. It is by faith in another. It's not in you. It's not in your own goodness. It's not in your powers or abilities. It is by faith in another, the Christ, the Savior, those of you in sales know the, the acronym ABC. Always be closing. I got a new acronym for you. For all of you who are sent out by the Spirit, ABC, always back to Christ. When you're talking about faith, make sure that it always goes back to Christ. Whatever question you get, there's lots of hard questions, always go back to Christ. It leads you in the right direction, it leads them in the right direction. I imagine you're thinking, but, but I don't know what to say. I don't know the Bible very well. Okay, learn it a little bit more. But also, it's not all about your knowledge. This is a spiritual thing. God will use you in what you do know. Do you know Jesus? ABC. Always back to Christ. Talk about him. I am telling you today, I think the scripture is telling you today that you are responsible to, to speak up and to act out your faith. I'm not excusing that. I'm not shortchanging that. That's what you need to do. You should do that. But I also want you to understand that doing that is the fruit of your faith, not the root of your faith. And that's very important for you to understand for several reasons. One reason is if, if you fail to understand that, you'll start looking at the fruit all the time and going, oh, how am I doing? And you'll think, oh, no, I'm having a good day. I'm having a bad day. I don't know. Does God love me or not? And you'll fall into deep despair on the one hand because you can't keep up to all the things you're supposed to do or prideful arrogance on the other looking down at everybody else as to why they're not good as you are. And neither of those are good because neither of them go back to Christ. And the fruit of speaking up and acting out is important in the life of believers. It, you should do that. But it's not the root. It's not the security. It's not the identity. It's not the source of life for you as a Christian. That's not where your source is. It's not your identity. It's not your security. Your source alone is in Christ, always back to Christ. Jesus is the root of your faith, and Jesus is whom you speak up about and act out for. At the risk of doing something weird, I'm going to have another preacher finish my sermon. And that's because you may have seen this going around on YouTube, but it's a, it's a couple years old now. Um, and the, the pastor is Alistair Begg. And I could talk about what he talks about, but he's Scottish. He's got a good accent. So play the video. Without the preaching of the cross... Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert 
to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all. Are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come." <laughs> now, now that's the. That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me and as soon as you go there it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance and it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says you know I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well no because the sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me that's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense That we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions. But we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. Jesus, we thank you. That it is finished. That the work you did is complete, full, and final. 
We thank you that, like that thief on the cross, we can say that you said we could come. And that's the only reason we come. Jesus, remind us of that today. And may that be so powerful in us that our deep desire is we want others to come too. Others can say, yeah, the man on the middle cross said I could come. So would you do that in us, in our church, and in our community? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.